on behalf of Lineberg Information Services. This is Bob Keebler, and we're here to discuss Roth IRA conversions after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Let's jump right in. First thing we want to remember is the Tax Reform Act basically repealed the ability to recharacterize a Roth conversion. This changes the paradigm of everything because before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we could do Roth conversions. So there were many instances where I had people do Roth conversions almost blindly, hoping the accounts would go up, knowing that we could recharacterize if the accounts stayed the same or if my judgment was wrong or if something else happened, their income spiked during the year. So we had tremendous flexibility because of this privilege of recharacterizing. Now, the privilege of recharacterizing probably wasn't needed anymore because if you remember the history here, when Roths first came out, there's a $100,000 limitation on income. And because of that $100,000 limitation, we had to have a mechanism to turn a regular IRA that was flipped into a Roth back into a regular IRA. That was the recharacterization. But then over time, what happened is um, CPAs all across the country figured out, wait a minute, time out. If we can do a Roth recharacterization, that means I could, for example, if I had 10 mutual funds, I could do 10 separate conversions and things would be good. I could just throw back the ones I didn't want. And that's how the game was played for the longest time. Now, mathematically, unfortunately, to understand Roth conversions, we have to go back basically to some real simple principles of mathematics. And in its simplest term, a traditional IRA will produce the same after-tax result as a Roth IRA provided that annual growth rates are the same and the tax rate in the conversion year is the same as the tax rate during the withdrawal year. About sixth grade, um, all of us learned this basic mathematical principle. Let me show you this in more practical terms. For example, if I had a million dollars in a traditional IRA and that grew 200% till I died, it was now $3 million and suddenly I lose 40% to taxes, I now have a million eight in that IRA. Okay, so there's a million eight in that IRA even after you pay taxes. However, if up front I had done a Roth conversion, paid 40% of taxes, I would go from a million down by 400,000 to $600,000. I would then, that would grow until I died at the same rate of return, I'd have a million eight. I'd be in exactly the same spot. So you're probably saying, well, when does a Roth conversion make sense? When does a Roth conversion make sense? And a Roth conversion is going to make sense when we can differentiate. Now, sometimes you'll have a tax attribute that allows you to differentiate, and sometimes you'll have a mathematical attribute that allows you to differentiate. One of the best things you can do is get some very simple software and start studying the variables, okay, of what is going to impact things. The biggest thing we've seen is a rate driver. The second biggest thing we've probably seen is when you have to worry about the estate tax. If you do not have an estate tax concern and you're basically going to always be in the same rate, then that changes virtually everything, okay? So then that changes virtually everything. Critical decision factors, what is my tax rate in the year of the conversion versus the withdrawal year? 
Now, some people would argue right now, early after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that we are in a lower tax rate than we'll be in the future. The first thing that we do is we often will run a 15-year projection to see where are we going to be when you take into account RMDs. That becomes the critical question for all of us is where will we be when you take into account RMDs? That is a, a big question that we have to address. Now, what about the use of outside funds? Do I have any outside funds to pay the income tax liability? Reasonable question. Do I need any of these IRA funds that I'm going to convert to a Roth for living expenses? Because then maybe a Roth conversion doesn't make sense. A Roth conversion usually makes the most sense when I can get a very long run out of it. So when I can get a very long run out of it. And what about my time horizon? What is my time horizon? The longer I can hold the money in this Roth IRA, the better off I am. Now, the key to what we'll call successful Roth conversions is to keep as much of the conversion income in the current marginal tax bracket or not to jump too many tax brackets. Okay, so we don't want to jump too many tax brackets. However, there are times when it can make sense to go into a much higher bracket. Those are rare. We'll talk about that. And you need to take into consideration that you could, with a large conversion, throw yourself into the 3.8% Obamacare tax, or the need to take into account the impact of the alternative minimum tax. Now, the good news is the AMT has been virtually eliminated by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but you still want to test for AMT uh, just out of an abundance of caution. Now, these are the tax rates we're up against right now. Here's what I really want to show you. Married versus single. It used to be that the married versus single rates would change right around the end of the 12% bracket. At 10 and 12 or 10 and 15%, you would double the single and you get to married. However, now that's totally different. Now what's happening is the single rate or single bracket is double to get to the married. So single times two gets you to the married all the way up to the 32% bracket. So all the way up to $400,000, single times two gets you to married. Why is that important? Why that is very, very important to us, okay? Why, that, why that's absolutely critical to us is that if you're representing a married couple and there's a substantial age differential between the couple or health differential between the couple or both, then you have to say, should we be pouring more into a Roth IRA up front rather than letting the single person um, be taxed to death under the weight of the RMDs? That's going to be the question, is will the RMDs be so ugly on a going forward basis? So will the RMDs be so ugly on a going forward basis? That's really what we need to know. Now, again, you can see the same rates. Um, if you look at um, a chart of basically single versus married, um, you can see that at 157.5, which is the top of the 24% bracket, if I double that, I get up to 315 in income. Now, why is this important? Because if the RMDs alone are $100,000 and other income is, say, 80, when you are, when husband and wife are both alive, they are simply at the bottom of the 24% bracket, easy. 
But once one party dies, the survivor will be up in the 32% bracket. And I would say to you, to avoid that jump from 24 to 32 is kind of critical. So what you would do is you do enough conversions, you would probably each year convert up to the top of the 24% bracket. You can't hurt yourself if you stay in that 24% bracket. We call that the terminal tax bracket for a married couple. If that's the terminal tax bracket for a married couple, any conversion inside the terminal tax bracket cannot hurt you unless rates go down in the future. However, what will hurt you is when one party dies, a survivor lives another five or 10 years, and every year they're up in that higher bracket. And that's what we have to take into account. That is a new phenomena since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So that is really brand new um, since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We really need to understand that and work through it. Now, if you look at the, the new rates, what I did is I stacked the new rates against the old rates. And right now, the 32% bracket for a married couple filing jointly starts at just over $300,000. So you're at $300,000 exactly. You're still in a 24% bracket. Last year, you were in a 33% bracket in 2017. What, why, do we, why are we so concerned about this? We are so concerned about this because if we go back to the 2017 rates in the future, that's why you would do conversions at least every year to the top of the 24% bracket. You also have to recognize that the difference between married and single would lead you to a point where doing Roth conversions to the top of whatever bracket you're in makes sense. So if you're a married couple in the middle of the 12% bracket, to do Roth conversions to drive you to the top of the 12% bracket is almost always gonna make sense. Now jumping from 12 to 22 is hardly ever gonna make sense or jumping from 24 to 32 is not gonna make much sense. The jump from 22 to 24, if you have other attributes, that will make sense, or the jump from 32 to 35, largely something to take a look at, does that make sense? Now the other rate comparison thing you have to ask is if your client right now is living in Florida, but she wants to return home to New Jersey, and she just retired from her dental practice, she has a ton of money, in IRAs, maybe she should convert before she drives up from Florida to New Jersey and buys another house, et cetera. Because if she converts a Florida resident, Florida doesn't have an income tax, obviously. New Jersey now has you know, fairly substantial income tax, um, well over 8%. So on a large conversion, look at where's my rate today and where will it be in the future if married couple, if both parties are alive, where will the rate be if one party dies? And what about the state income tax implications? Likewise, grandma and grandpa are retired lawyers in New Jersey. They're 66 years old and they, they're telling you they're gonna move down to Florida and become Florida residents. And, but they wanna know about Roth conversions. You would never tell them to convert before they left. You'd wait till they got down to Florida. Now, this little chart has been really helpful. Um, of looking at different brackets. So if you look at this, kind of imagine on a stairs, a set of stairs, the 10% bracket, the 12%, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. Now you have to make sure you analyze the impact of the AMT, the net, um, extend all your phase-ins and phase-outs, and you have to take into account, surprisingly, Section 199 works its way into this. 
and I'll explain that in a second. But what you're looking for is if you just have small jumps in brackets, Roth conversion is still going to make sense. Learn to run these numbers. When you're dealing with, and this is so critical, when you're dealing with somebody that's picking up some 199 cap A deduction, let's say their 199 amount was $200,000 and they should be able to get a $40,000 199 deduction. 200,000 times 20% is $40,000. So they should be able to get 40. But their taxable income for whatever reason is $125,000. That means they can only get, it's a lesser of rule, that means they can only get a $25,000 199-cap A deduction. They lose $15,000 of that cap 199-A deduction. If you had them do a Roth conversion for $75,000, bringing their taxable income right up to their qualified business income amount, then what you would have is you would have, on that $75,000 conversion, you'd only pay tax on 80% of that because you would your income would jump by 75000 on the conversion, but then your 199 cap A deduction would also go up by, by $15,000. And when that went up by $15,000, uh, then what would happen next, okay, the, the next thing that would happen is your income would now smooth out. So you'd only pay tax on 80% of that conversion. I think that's crit a critical concept for all of us to understand. Now, generally on Roth conversions, when someone is 50 years old and they're going to be in the same brackets in the future, the only thing that's going to help them is, is outside funds. Do they have outside funds to pay the taxes? Or do they have, will they not need the money after 70 and a half? Now, the 70 and a half thing won't come in for a 50-year-old because they're only going to be touching 70 when they do this conversion. If they are going to be in lower tax rates in future years, then a Roth conversion rarely makes any sense. You would just stay where you are, not do anything. And it, but if they expect to be in higher tax rates in future years, then a Roth conversion is something to take a very good look at. Now, when you introduce the variable, this is critical, when you are introducing the variable that somebody is 70, and a Roth conversion means no RMDs from the amount converted, then where we are is you should basically take a look at whether a Roth conversion makes sense. So if you have outside funds to pay the taxes, and if you do not need the money after 70 and a half, that is a big, big deal. Okay, that's a big, big deal. You should be able to increase the amount in that account by 15 to 20%. And that's what all the math bears out. You just have to get softer you're comfortable with and learn to run these numbers yourself. Take, take as little chance as you can if you're just simply going to the top of a bracket, a terminal bracket. So the first thing we always do is say, if we weren't involved and this thing just was running on its own, where do we end up, okay? Where are we gonna end up? on its own, what will our distributions look like at 75, 85, and 90? What will those RMDs look like? That is a big thing. Now, we can't have any discussion on a, the efficacy of Roth conversions without touching on tactical issues. Somebody comes in to see you, look at their tax return. Do they have any NOL carry forwards? Do they have any type of AMT carry forward? 
Do they have unused charitable contribution carry forwards? Are they in a position where they could get a greater 199 cap A deduction if their income was a little higher, so doing a Roth conversion could make some sense? They also have to take into account the estate tax considerations. What I tell the lawyers when I teach classes for lawyers is every client they meet with, they should make a referral back to the CPA or to the financial planner to analyze the efficacy of a Roth conversion. Sometimes in the world of estate planning, a Roth conversion can make a great deal of sense. However, um, most of the time the lawyers do not want to do the analysis of that, they'll send it back to a CPA or financial planner. But I think it's important for the lawyer to bring it up, have it on their checklist, and bring it up every time. So if 15 years from now somebody says, did you ask my mom and dad about a Roth conversion? You can say, absolutely, I do it every time, and 100% certainty that I would have sent them to talk to their financial planner or CPA about a Roth conversion. Now, part of the estate tax beauty of a Roth conversion is you can use the Roth IRA to fund the bypass trust, which lets you, in essence, pack more money into the bypass trust. And the math of that, just it comes out just fine. The math shows you that you're able to transfer more wealth if you fund the bypass trust with a Roth IRA than with a regular IRA. The other reason to do this is because of how the 691C deduction works. The 691C deduction is an income tax deduction for the estate tax paid on items of IRD. So to prevent double taxation, the federal income tax law allows income, an income tax deduction for federal estate taxes paid on income in respect of a sedent. This is commonly called the 691C deduction. This deduction, though, is far from perfect because what happens is you only get the deduction for the federal estate taxes paid, not the state estate taxes. So if you are in a state where you receive, where New York, New Jersey, where there's a state estate tax, then the 691C deduction is not going to be nearly as efficient because the federal deduction is only for federal taxes. So we have to take that into account. That's a critical component. But there's another thing going on, and we call that the fading 691C deduction. Another dilemma with the 691C deduction and it is, is only calculated on the value of IRD at the time of the death. Post-death appreciation is not sheltered by the 691C deduction. So in essence, over time, over 20 or 30 years, that 691C deduction fades away. For example, if you had a million dollars and you did no planning, and that grew to two million, your 691C deduction would stay the same at $400,000, 40% of, of the original million, and you'd pay income tax on a million six. Your total after-tax future IRA distributions would be about a million 360. However, if you did a conversion right before death, or right at death, um, you would have a 691C deduction. But, so you can do a conversion after death, like for, with a pension plan. You would get a $400,000 deduction right up front, leaving you with only 600 in the Roth. But all the growth, though, would be on the Roth side. Because all the growth is on the Roth side, it's protected from 
future income taxes. So for people that are, have very large estates, take a look at the missing and the fading 691C deduction. Well, we've certainly covered a lot of ground today. On behalf of Lineberger Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler discussing Roth IRA conversions after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act.